This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Or whatever. Right, everyone's on board 100% already? No questions? <laughs> um, so, what, what's the verdict, uh, Matt? Share first. So, maybe if you have a Medrash Rabbah Shmos, and a Chomish is always good to have. One thing I'd like to ask a certain level of cooperation, I have a hard time gauging which words are Hebrew, which words are English, which words are Yiddish, and people find it annoying, so if you'll clue me in, if, the, if I said a word that just uh, just, just uh, not, not understood, or if I'm over-explaining and insulting intelligence, it's, it's a very hard thing to gauge without knowing people well, so I will try to do my best to translate to, to keep a bit away from Hebrew words, and but uh, it's very hard. It's not. It's not. It's it's sort of unnatural. So we'll try. I want to speak a little bit about something in Matan Torah, more about um, some some element about the format in the way in which God interfaced with Kal Yisrael about it. I want to start with a medrash. The Medrash goes like this. It starts with a Pasuk, which Medrashim usually do. The Pasuk in Tilim is, Alisa Lamaro, you've gone up to the heavens. Shavisa Shevi, you have conquered a captive. You've taken captive something. In other words, as if Moshe went up to Shemayim and it captured it. So the Medrash says, Yochel Mepnei Shava Oisa Nitola one would think that because it's captured, it's for free. Captives tend to be for free. Talmud Loma Lakachta Matanos Bada. The rest of the verse is you've gotten a present. So a present. Sorry, Lakachta means you've acquired it. Um, the, the verse reads literally you've acquired it as a present. So the word acquisition, Lakicha, is a word that interchanges with commerce. Um, so, mekach um, umemkar is the act of commerce, of selling and buying. So it meant you bought it, so you got to pay for it. I would think that you need to pay for it. Talmud Loma, it says, matonos, it's a gift. Matonot lo, it's given as a gift. So without exploring what the meaning of the metaphor is, but the metaphor itself contradicts itself terribly. It starts out with, you know, you think you got a freebie just because you captured it? Well, it's a mekkah, it's a deal, it's a business deal. Oh, you'd think you'd have to pay for it, it's a gift. Well, without any, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a perfect circle. You, you came back to the square one again, where are we? Like, like what does it mean? With, with, um, even without exploring, what does it mean? We bought Torigan as a gift, captured it, but that's something that really, really needs an explanation. The first part of that same medrash has a, also a very, very uh, peculiar metaphor. It says the luchos was six tefach. Tefach is a handbreadth, six tefach in the length. Halachically, that's how it's accepted. And when the Gemara measures dimensions of the Kodashim or the Aron, this is used as a dimension. Fine. Kavayachol. In, in, in God's hands, so to speak, there were two tfachim. That's two handbreadths worth. 
Moses and Moses had two handbreadths. And there were two handbreadths in between the two. So God is holding on with two handbreadths. Moses is holding on with two handbreadths. And uh, in the middle is two. Uh, a very, very, very strange description. W- what are they describing exactly? I mean, God obviously has no hands. And obviously, it, it, it's, it's certainly nothing even close to being literal. What are we describing over here? And it's actually the same chazal. It's, it's the same medrash. It starts with this. I reverse the order, but that's what it starts with. What's the number? The number is, in, in this number is chavches, parasha chavches, 28, and it's the first medrash, aleph. Um, I, I want to explore something about the halachas of buying and selling, and I want to do it by looking something at a structure in the Rambam. The Rambam, as you'll advance in, the, in Gemara, you're going to find the Rambam an extraordinary safer, because while the Gemara is written as a dialogue, and doesn't always leave you off with any definitive bottom line, the Rambam had the unenviable task of trying to make a bottom line out of all of it, which means you have to know all of it, decide which sugyas are arguing with which sugyas, which Gemara is arguing with which ones, how would Allah be? And everything had to, he, it had to make sense both ways. The Rambam had to be internally consistent, and it had to be able to be understood at the logical conclusion of looking at the Gemaras. And that's why the Rambam is such an extraordinary safer, um, because it's sort of, it's like having the answers to the questions on the test and figuring out how you get to the answer. You know, it's, it's sort of that type of, like, you, you're stumped by a problem, you have the answer book, but the Rambam doesn't explain how you got from one to the other. So, so that usually is what most people do with the Rambam. But there's another facet of the Rambam's extraordinary I- I- mastery. He created a logical structure for the halachas. And both the whole halachas, all of it, each subdivision, what he sees as being the rule, what he sees as being the exception, what comes before what, what comes after what, it's masterful, and a lot is learned from it. It, it, it is an almost perfect, you can argue on points of it, but the structure is impeccably logical. He puts piece, piece, piece down in, in, a, in a very, very, he goes from the rule to the detail, and what comes from what, and a lot is, uh, is studied in that. I want to point out a peculiar structure that he has. One of his 14 books in the Rambam is called Kenyan, which means acquisitions. Good, that's, a, that's an important book. He has the first set of laws is called Hilchas Mechira, which means the laws of sales. And, and he starts it that saying I'm going to sell it to you doesn't make a sale. You have to do an act. A transaction has, needs an act. To, to do the transaction. Fine. The next section is called the laws of Zechia, which means when you walk by and you see something that's ownerless, how does a person acquire something that has no owner to make a transaction? It's one thing when we are too, I, I believe in, in law, they call a contract a meeting of the minds. What do you do if there's no mind on the other side? And, and your mind has to meet the object. How do you acquire it? So that's fair, Sriya. Umatana and gifts. Now, that's puzzling. Because a gift should be legally a sale where the price is zero. In other words, a gift is a, a, a transfer of property for no, for no price. So it should be like, it, it's, a, it's a special case of Mechira when the price is zero. That's, that's all it is. And it starts the same way. The Ramam says... If you, um, if you want to give a gift, you, saying that you're giving a gift is not enough, you need to do all these activities, and it's basically kind of a repeat, some small exceptions. But that's strange. Um, why wouldn't, if we were in the Rambam, at best we would write sales and gifts versus schia, or we might not even, I would call it sales, and then it would be obvious. Well, a gift is, is just an, a, a special example of a sale. That's all it is. It's another that's the. So, so I would like to, to, to take a deeper look at some of at some of, of, of the ideas behind sale and gift. One of our understandings of Torah is 
that whereas law, secular law, is a social convention of, you know, people are going to have, I'm going to have a lot more milk than I need, you're going to have a lot more bread than you need, we need to find a way to exchange it, we need to make a deal, we need, so we develop laws of contracts and laws of sales and so on. It's just a way to run things efficiently. We do believe that the Torah is, that the justice in the Torah and the legal aspects of the Torah are reflections of a deeper truth in a person. The, the, actually, in, in the laws of commerce, local custom is followed quite frequently. In other words, if people make a deal by slapping high fives, that becomes legally binding halakhli also. Um, it, it, it's, not, it's not as if it excludes convention, but, but these seem to be more basic forms of commerce. Now, it says uh, the word kinyan, which means an acquisition, is used in a strange way in the Torah. It says God is called Kone Shemayim Va'aretz. He has acquired heavens and earth. We say it in the Bracha Friday night, um, when the, in the Me'en Sheva, after, after the, the sort of mini Chazos Hashatz, we call Kashbrach Kone Shemayim Va'aretz. It's a Pasik. And Rashi remarks, what does it mean he bought, he acquired heavens and earth? Like, who had the fire sale? But it was selling, you know, <laughs> buy, buy one heaven, get an earth for free, you know, or something like that. Like, where was it being sold? So Rashi says, because he made it, it's his. Fine. So why not just say, he made it? What is, what is the word acquired come in? And we call a Kaddish Baruch Hu, Kone Shemayim Varetz. A Kaddish Baruch Hu is, is, is a Kone Shemayim Varetz. How does the word Kone, in the sense of acquisition, fit God? So let's do a little bit of a thought experiment. Let's say I would pick somebody here, and I would say, you know, you probably could use a bit more cash. I don't think anybody would say no. I think that I would get a good, good, a good uh, response to that. I have a great idea. In Shah Shem, there's an Arab walking. He's got a wad of $100 bills, and a few of them are sticking out of his pocket. If you just kind of brush by and pick up one or two, you could, you know, you could actually pick up one or $200. Most of most people would say you got out of your mind, and if he turns around with a knife, if if his friend sees me and pulls out a knife at me, I mean, I'm crazy. I, I don't, you know, why in the world, why in the world my life is worth a lot more than hundred or two hundred dollars? Why in the world would I do that? That would be the response of anybody sane or, or reasonable. Now let's take <coughs> the second case. Let's say you're walking through Sharshchem to the coastal, not on Shabbos, and you have a hundred two hundred dollars sticking out of your pocket. Um, more likely scenario, and an Arab brushes by and takes it. Many of you would turn on the Arab, try to wrestle it away from him. Um, if you're reasonably fit, you would probably try to fight him for it. If you didn't, you'd probably think hard as an excuse why you didn't stand up for your money, whatever. Well, why isn't the logic of your life not being worth $100? The books say don't, don't fight a, a robber because you know, your life's not worth the money. But we would, inst- we would respond like that. Well, where's the logic here? T- to make $100 by, by putting your life in danger, no way. To defend $100, we would do it. It's our natural instinct. That unless we're very scared, unless we're chicken, and, then, and, and we'd feel wrong about it. We'd kind of feel we did the wrong thing, but you know, we'd have to excuse ourselves. Why? What's, what's the logic? What's the difference? The answer is, and, and you know, it's, it's actually halachically brought down. The halacha is... If you catch a thief, if you see a thief going to an, another person's house, there's an assumption that he may be taking a life while he's robbing somebody. Because we say that the owner, if the owner finds the ganef, he would probably resist him to a degree where the robber might be inclined to shoot, you know, to, to kill him. It's halakhically recognized as the reality of human nature. So what's the logic of it? The answer is... The morale explains in different places. He speaks about the parts of a human being. He speaks about neshama. He speaks about the emotional self. He speaks about the physical self. And he speaks about his property. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because he wanted man to rule the world, to put his imprint on things, ownership is something that becomes part of you. An ownership is, 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 you sense it as being an extension of yourself. And therefore, 
um, when, when, when somebody tries to take away your $100, it's like he wants to slice off a tiny part of your finger. You look at it as somebody, you, you feel as if you've been stabbed when someone takes the money. People have gone through robbery. The question is, a person could be a millionaire. If somebody went through his property and took out $200, you're incensed because it's, it's you know, um, I've been violated. You really feel that way. Because HaKadosh Baruch who made that to be, ownership, Kenyan, is, is that way. Um, but there's a caveat. If you've gotten, a, if people get a gift, like for instance, you know, if, if, you, if you give your, for those mitzvah when you'll have children or you as a child, um, when you get a gift, a nice thing, so it's nice and wonderful, the longevity of gifts that kids get tends to be short. The, the, the lifespan of, of gifts given to children is not great because it was given. When he gets older and he has to work for it, and somebody's worked all summer to earn money for a nice laptop, you, you, it's hard to get him to lend it out. He, he, he sits glued to it because the, 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 the sense of extension that you have in acquisitions works where um, I have my time, my effort, my energy, my know-how, I can sort of, I, I can transform it into working the field, I can, I can do something with it. And the thing I did, because I put myself into it, that's why it's me. So if I worked hard a summer to earn the, the, the $2,000 for, for, the, for the nice laptop, that's, that's me. It's, it's a summer's worth of self. And I wouldn't let it out of my hand or out of my reach for anything because it's something I have invested myself in. It. So, so we have an area that a Kaddish Baruch Hu put into the world that is called Kenyan, and specifically the type of Kenyan that acquisition through expenditure of self, time, effort, know-how, and I can do it, I can transform that. I worked all summer and I earned, somebody gave me X. I sell X and I get X amount of cash. I take that amount of cash and buy something else. As long as it's a transformation of that which was self, it will retain those properties to the person, and they're very valuable and very dear. The flip side of it, the, the, the one shortcoming of that is, the, um, the object ceases <coughs> to be the person whose it was. Um, if I bought it from a certain store, it's gone. I mean, I'll, I'll keep the warranty and stuff, but, but, but I don't say um, that it's, you know, it's that person's and so on. It's mine. I bought it fair and square. We exchanged something for it. He got X and I got Y. And that's it. It's, it's got its previous owners added a picture. It is totally me, myself, and I, and that's all it is. That's the world of Kinyan. It doesn't exist in a gift like we said before because in a gift, I, it's, I had no input in it. But... There's something else in a gift. The giver is unable... When I give a gift, when I give charity to somebody, let's say, if I buy... Um, if, if there's a poor man who needs, a, um, I don't know what, some sort of um, a, a table and a chair, then I buy it to him because he needs a table and a chair, and, you know, and, and it's there to be used as a table and chair. That's the purpose of it. It's, it, it, it shouldn't be, you know, the, the Maimonides says that when a person gives charity, it should be, the Gemara says it should be anonymous preferably because you don't want to have it as the other person. You want to have it as yourself and your own, and, and that's how you have it. When somebody gives me, um, it, 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 when somebody gives a gift, you're taking a piece of yourself and parking it by the other person, and you're able to, to put yourself into somebody else's um, domain. And that's the purpose of a gift. So somebody I love, I want to keep a sort of bond with him. So I take, uh, um, I, I buy him a fancy table or whatever it is, and, and, and now it is a piece of me in your place. The halacha, as the Gemara says, you're supposed to tell somebody when you buy him a gift because it makes the person, it increases the, 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 the love between people, 
because the purpose of a gift is not that he have the object, but that he that he sense me as part of his world. And there's always a piece of me by you. So even though both are technically the owners, but there's a world of difference in the setup. Kinyan, Lakicha, is because it's something which I have um, acquired through me and it's an extension of myself. And that's why the Rambam has one set of halachas. How does a person transform those items that, you know, transform himself and, and acquire items? That's Mechira. Matana is, how is it possible for me to get something and legally be the owner and the boss on it when I haven't done anything to earn it? it it's it, Even though on the technical level they both include similar activities of transaction, but in the depth of it, in terms of, of what it is, they represent two different worlds, a gift and a sale of two different things. And there are some telling differences in halacha. For instance... If somebody gives me an object to watch, somebody says, you know what, it, it, I mean, I, I'm going away for a while, Hold, keep my car in your garage. Fine. He comes back and he says, you know, maybe you'll buy it off me. Uh, um, it's $5,000, $10,000, whatever it is. That doesn't work. You need to do one of those activities of transaction that we talked about. But let's say I come back and I say, you know what, maybe I'll give it to you as a gift. I need to do nothing else. I don't need to make any, any act of transaction because every gift, in a sense, is my object parked by you. Normally, I need to do some activity to kind of park it by you. In a matana, it, it, that's what it is. It's my object parked in your domain. It is already. So as long as I say I'm not taking it back, you need not give it back to me, that's enough. In selling somebody something, I actually am now, you have to make it part of yourself and that's only by doing an act that sort of brings it into your domain and so on. That's just an example of Allah, who I think we see that difference. But let's sort of get back to our point here. That's in the realm of things in the world, where you have things that we, we you know, there are things that I possess because it's me, and there are things that someone else has endowed to me, and it's him as part of it. And each one has um, a gift I don't feel so strongly that it's mine, and therefore I don't care for it all that much. I'm not so attached to it. On the other hand, the presence of the giver is very much part of it, and it and it's kind of you know it's 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 part of it. I get it as part of it. Let's go now to the realm of ideas. When a person comes along, and let's say let's say so I ask somebody to, you know, prove to me that a triangle has 180 degrees. Um, it, 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 you know, it, it, that's obviously assuming that parallel lines don't meet and so on. Yes. And um, so, so the person takes out pen and paper. No one says, well, my seventh grade teacher taught me that it's like this. You don't say it because it doesn't do it to some great teacher. He happened to teach it to you, but it's, it's, it's you understand it today. Once you understand it, you know, you might say I had a great math teacher in seventh grade, but the, 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 this doesn't stand true because the teacher taught it. He's not part of it. it it's true because I understand it. I see the proof clearly. And, and, and you know, I, I don't need to, to, to recourse to who taught it to me. On the other hand, when a person makes a statement along the lines, my Rebbe said so-and-so, it usually means I've got to rely on what he said because I don't quite understand it. Things that people understand clearly and are Obvious, it's, it's clearly in the sense where it's obvious to you, then it's you, it's yours. Um, so we have here a real conflict as far as Torah goes. Torah is God's wisdom. It's God's understanding. It's, it's God's, not his understanding of, but the, the understanding with which he's built the world physically, and more important, morally. The right and the wrong and the good and the bad, is, that's, the, in, that's the heart of Torah and how it expresses itself in the realms of human activities, whether it's marriage, divorce, whether it's buying, selling, whether it is bringing sacrifices, etc., etc. So, 
Hashem put into the Torah an incredible double bond, double knot, where a person has to work so hard at understanding it that basically he would have been entitled to feel it's his, and he has to recognize it as being God's. Um, and that's, very, that's quite tough. It, it needs the humility of understanding it's not right because I understand it so. It's right because that's how God put it into the world. For instance, if a, if, if a person, if a person um, develops an idea in philosophy, he really feels it's him. It's, this is my idea. It's profound. This is my understanding of the world. Um, a scientist, a physicist, is trying... I mean, he, he, he may take pride that he hopped the game that nature's playing, but it's nature's playing the game and not him. He understands it that way. In, in Torah, if Torah is to be a bond with God, it has to include both elements. It has to include... It, 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 Torah demands of us, when we learn it, to, 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 have a, to break our heads and sweat on it to a degree that we would feel the same connection as it being us when, you know, as, as if it really would have been us and ours. And on the other hand, to recognize it as being God's and we're simply looking at his handiwork. It, it's very, very tough, but that's what it says. I would think that because he captured it, he doesn't, he doesn't have to pay for it. It's for free. And in other words, it's not yours. So it says, no, it's an acquisition. The only, the, the closest thing to it is, marrying a woman in the Torah is also called an acquisition. Kiyika, same. In other words, there has to be a sense of she is who she is, and she is part and parcel of myself. Um, either one of the two alone is not a, a great marriage. If a person senses the woman as his, in the same way that he senses cattle and chairs and tables, not a very happy marriage, unless you're living somewhere in the Arab countries, but not, not the... And if, and if you feel it's the other person, but it's not something of mine, that the person is another, it's also not. That's similar, that's what the, that's what the Medrash is saying. It's, it's a Kaddish Baruch Hu's and ours. By, in our approach to Torah, we recognize both. The humility of saying, if I don't understand it, it's my problem, because it's true no matter what, and the drive to try to understand it in a way that I could have that sense of self in it, that's the double knot. As far as the first part over here of, of uh, what, what um, the two, holding two and two, and then the middle two, the morale explains it in a very similar way. The morale says that um, in the, the first Mishnah in Baba Metziah, the very famous Mishnah that deals with the rules of people arguing over an object. So the Mishnah gives a simple case of two people holding a garment. What do you do with it? So the Mishnah says something, the Gemara explains it more in detail, and we'll use the Gemara's explanation. Let's say two people are holding a cloth, a bolt of cloth. Whatever each one is physically holding in his own hand is his. Whether it's a lot of cloth or a little cloth, that which is completely surrounded by your hand is yours. That which is completely surrounded by the other person's hand is his. The area in the middle, they are seen as joint owners, and therefore we, we sell it and split the money to two. But it, it's, 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 so in a situation where we have two people holding an object, as described in this Chazal, then we have a piece that's completely mine, a piece that's completely his, and a piece that is joint. Because I have a part, because you have a part, then there's a piece that is in the middle. It's, 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 it's the same idea expressed in, in, in a different metaphor, that in, in Torah, Akadosh Baruch was holding on to peace, Moshe's around the peace. This represents his sense of self. This represents the other, and that may, that means that in effect, it's joint. It's both, and um, this is 
the challenge, this is one of the reasons why learning Torah is such an important component of Judaism and of coming close to God. I want to use, I want to finish with a metaphor that the Tanya uses. Extraordinary metaphor. He says like this. Every mitzvah is as if Hashem is embracing us with the mitzvah. Hashem is telling us, do this, and when we're engaged in God's activities, when we're doing His will, we're part of Him. We're part of His. That's sort of every mitzvah. When a person learns and understands something, anything, so try to picture it the following way. Um, things that I understand completely. So the mind, in the sense of its basic structure of perception, is like a frame, a box, whatever you want to call it, and an idea that fits in snugly in it is surrounded. In other words, I understand this idea from every possibility, from every possible angle. It's, it's, it's understood by me. It's incorporated in myself. I, so to speak, surround it. So any knowledge, something, an idea that I'm comfortable with, it's almost as if it sticks out. The bottom half of it makes sense, but there's a whole piece here that's kind of where you're coming from, where you're going to. You can sort of picture it as being that which fits into my frames of reference is surrounded by my mind, my frames of reference, and that which sticks out, sticks out. But the piece, so, so he says when a person is learning Torah, as regards the intellectual aspect of it, I am surrounding God. I'm surrounding God's wisdom, will, etc. In as much as it's a mitzvah, and God has told me to do it, then it's God surrounding me. He says it's an incredible double knot that is unparalleled in any other divine activity of Torah. Learning Torah contains in itself, and, and halachically a double knot is called a, a permanent knot, because when, when, you, when you go around once, you can always un, undo. A double knot is considered to be halachically permanent. So, so when, we, when we have the activity of learning Torah, then of all our religious activities, it provides the most profound kesha, the most profound bond with God. And that's why learning has become the main channel for becoming closer to Hashem. It's not only just knowing about things to do and so on, it's just, it's just to, to give you that attachment. For anyone who has some intellect and, 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 and some understanding, understanding is, 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 the, is the vehicle for it. And the important part about the attitude of it is, it's, it, it requires an almost axiomatic um, juxtaposition of, of two things, the humility of the other that overshadows and is greater, and the sense of self, of having acquired something by my own strength of intellect. Um, and if a, if a person balances correctly, that's when he's over to that. And it's, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen the boys from Yeshiva here quite a few times in Washington. There's been quite a bit of traffic. And it, it is, you know, I, you know, people get a firm basis in learning and knowing how to learn and so on. And understand it that even though it's a struggle, it's not easy. I mean, there's a lot to master that's not really the intellectual part. There's the Hebrew, the words, the vocabulary, the punctuation, the grammar. Uh, you know, before you get to ideas and then and just try and, you know, when you're unfamiliar with so many ideas, to, you know, it's not easy. I, I understand it. But there is no more, there's no stronger, more lasting avenue for connection than learning. And Hashem should help us all. We should uh, be able to learn both with breaking our heads and sweating over it to a degree that we feel the sense of self in it and, and with the humility of understanding it's like a sparkle and it's, and it's part and parcel of it. Any questions? Any, uh, I guess, yes? Okay. So I have, I have a lot, so I'll just do one. Okay. It's <laughs> a multifaceted question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 you must be a lawyer. It's like, you know, it's only one question, but there's A, B, C, D, and F. Yeah. So my, 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 my basic question is, is what is the, if ownership is, is something that becomes a part of the existence of yourself, what, what is the difference between um, charity and gifts? Is, is it need that makes it a difference? And how is that, what is it, if it like, 
as opposed to like owed money. Like if it's Meister, it's technically owed money, so it doesn't count as charity. And once you make a gift, separating gifts and charity, once we define that, once you make a gift, can you take it back ever? Is it, if it's misused, does it still belong to you? Is there a contract? Is it conditional at all? Okay. So, so A, the answer is no to the last one. In other words, a gift does become the other person's, whether you like it or not. It's tragic when it's misused, but it, it, does, it, it is a complete transition in halacha. The, um, and that's why when you, you know, when you, when you take somebody's gift and you sort of, sh if somebody buys you a gift and you sort of dump it in the garbage in front of him, um, don't use it or something like that, it, it's kind of very, very insulting. When you buy something, it's not so insulting. So the answer is, A, you cannot, a gift never goes back. It, it is, it, it is, the transaction is complete. Um, charity based on need, it's, it's what the purpose is. When I give, when I buy somebody a vase usually, very rarely it's because he needs a vase. It's more like kind of, I'm not sure who needs a vase, but, but, really, but there, is a, there is a large vase market for people that want to show in a nice way, I've been here, thought of you, this is for you, and so on. Um, so it's really the intent of the giver. Is he fulfilling a need of the person, or does he want to show a sort of a sign of, I'm part of your life, and this is, this is sort of a, um, uh, this is a way of, of, of concretizing it. Is that, so, com is that coming from a selfish point? No, increasing, increasing, if you give a gift, if you give a gift in a way that sort of shows I am your benefactor, you couldn't have made this happen without me, then there's something selfish to it. But a lot of times it's just, I want to give you because you'll like it, like like a husband for a wife, a husband for a kala. That's that's not selfish. That's a bonding with another person. So is it intention versus need? Then, like, if, it, I, if I go if I go to the co-sell owner and I and I hand out, and I hand that's out charity. That's charity. Does, does, is that is that not a gift? Is it a type of a gift? It, it, well, if you ask me on the technical level, yes. The answer is it, it's 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 the the the, tech, the technical halachas of matana would apply to it, but in terms of what its content is. The answer was no. That would be charity. You're fulfilling another person's need. You know, we call it in English. It's a gift. He gave a great gift to the institution. He gave a gift to this, but it's it's not what we would call matana. It's nesina, but it's not matana. So what would we call matana? So I mean, I mean, it's from, from a, a the gift with the, the intention. The intention is to increase the. <coughs> when you give a gift to someone you love, you would like the person to come to you. You like the person. To call you and say, when you give an onion at the coastal money, you'd like him to get away as fast as possible. You know, it's it's sort of the arrow is headed the other direction. It, it's kind of you know, it's uh, okay. Yeah, yes. Um, you you compared the grabbing of the lucos two two and two to the first parak in Bavatia. Yeah. Um, the first parak in Bavatia, I, I believe, is where an object that's, that's hefker. Um, it's hefker. We, the object is, well, there's two cases, Hefke and Mekamemka, but there's a different point. This is between the two people that are contenders for the Hefker. Right. So that which you've firmly put into your possession is yours, and the middle one, it's another way of, of and, and the middle area becomes <laughs> jointly owned. It's another way of demonstrating that idea that you can have something that two people concurrently possess it. As a result of each person, as a result of each person having his put. So, so you're right, it's slightly different case, but it's the same idea. Is it assumed that, then, that the Torah was Hefker? I, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think that that's the, I, I don't, I'm not, I mean, I think the, the metaphor just based on, it's, it's the snapshot of a situation where two people have their own unique input in something, and then, and it creates an area of, of joint uh, custody, so... Okay. Just because in this, in this case, it was God's, and now we're grabbing. It correct, correct. But but God gave it. it, it it's not. It's not a full metaphor. Says, I, you, I, you can't. You, you're right about what the case of Amitzi is. One or two cases is Hefka. But 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 the, the the metaphor stands just just as a snapshot of of it. Yes. Um, you said it's human nature for a person to associate themselves with things that they acquire. Yeah. And to be to be for it to be an extension of themselves. Um, is it proper for a person to to relate to it that way? Because in a sense, it seems dangerous that you can, you know, you see your extension of self and like all the different things that you do, and suddenly you know, become this uh, um, paranoid or good. You know. um, two things. First of all, Chazal said. 
that Yaakov Avinu went back, crossed over a river in a dangerous night to pick up some little brick rats that he, you know, that were not of any consequence. And Chazal say because Sadiqim are very fond of their money. Now, I know today that's a popular, you know, measure of a tzaddik. But but what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean that he that he was fond of his money? What is that? What, the, so Chazal say because they acquired their money without gzela. They acquired their money without stealing. In other words, if a person shortchanged somebody else and he got money, so certain so money represents only money. But Yaakov Avinu, just like his life was dedicated every moment he didn't sleep for for X amount of years and so on. So that means that if he worked for an hour and earned a dollar with that work, that's a piece of Yaakov Avinu. You don't just toss it out. It's not just kind of uh, for nothing. I, I want to tell of a story that I personally was part of um, just to show the difference of what a tzaddik is as far as money goes. I, I think it's important. Uh, it, it, it's a picture. Of, when I came to the Mir Yeshiva, the most the, the Rashivas are very very chashev. But one of the things about Mir Yeshiva was unique. They had older people learning as just cold people, and these people were gedolim down right. And one of these, the, the most chashev person was somebody called Reb Chaim Kamil. Chaim Kamil was about forty when I came to Yeshiva. He was a person whose thought process, everything about him was kedushin. Know, the way he sat and learned his asmada and the, the way his yashras hadas, everything about him was. What? Okay, good. Hasmada is good. I say finally we got perseverance. A yashras hadas means his, his, his level thinking. He, very, he, he was the person, look, you know, if you wanted to speak to somebody learning, he was the person to speak to learning. If you want to ask him, he was one of the people that was what made the me had tons of people that were just, they didn't have any official position. They sat and learned and they were. Big people. He eventually became a shiva in Al Fakim, and uh, passed away a few years ago. He was quite a poor person, not a not a wealthy person by any means. He was lived off the kollel and he did taught in the afternoon in the yeshiva. I had a chavrus, an American fellow American, who really learned very hard, and he was always pale and thin. He also smoked a lot. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know if that added, but he was like he was. But he really, person really broke it. I mean, really sweated over Gemara. Really worked hard. His parents weren't all that thrilled that he was sitting and learning all the time. They wanted he should look for some other career. He actually became eventually a shiva somewhere. Um, one day during the nine days when you're not supposed to eat flashics unless there's a real reason for it, Reb Chaim Kamil found out that his parents were supposed to come for a visit, and he became very concerned that. They'll see him this way. They'll put him in an ambulance and take him home. Like, like they'll they'll, they'll have the real excuse. So he felt there was a need to kind of put a little color into his face. So Chaimville uh, comes in one day during the nine days to yeshiva, and he walk and he walks over to my chavrusa. I, I wasn't there. wasn't He wasn't the same seder and so on. But I heard it from my chavrusa. And then he turns to another cold person. He says, "Ruven looks pale. Don't you think so? He probably should eat meat." During the nine days, don't you think so? Chaim, if you feel that way, it's probably true. I said, fine, come with me. So my chavuza marched down with him. He marched him down. He pulled out of his pocket a plastic bag with livers. In those days, livers were very expensive. And if people, I mean, you know, meat was at a, at a premium. I, I remember it. And, and he pulled out a whole bag with, and bread, black bread, like a... And he felt like the iron would put color. And that was his sense that iron would add a lot of color to him. He told him, go wash. He started protesting. He said, no protesting, wash. He washed, ate the bread, finished the livers. And then he took out two apples from another bag that, that he felt that would also complement it. You know, I, I mean, fine. When he finished, he said, if you don't mind, could I have the bags back, please? And it's an extraordinary insight the livers represented probably more than his mice and money. But that was for a very important need. Throwing out the plastic bag, why? Just just because you have it, you can throw it out? If you don't need to throw it out, then you don't need to. It, it, that's an extraordinary use of working on a person's meters. The Ram says a person who's large is not a kind person. There's some people like that, toss out the money, you know, just let's... But to have that... Every penny is accountable. It's it's like if a person is, if a person 
keeps track of every penny of his, we call him stingy. But if a person is a treasure of a company and he can account for every nickel and dime, that, that, that speaks of integrity. If our attitude is the money is ours, then yes, it's a cheapskate that if you keep a plastic bag in your pocket and you, know, you use it again and, and, you know, and, and, and so on. But if, if you're just an accountant, if you're, if you're a treasurer, then, then that speaks highly. And, and this is a this is this is a, a, a godless a, a, the the perspective of a godel. You you know what what I need to give, I give without question. What I don't need to give, I don't throw out. I, I you know whatever whatever can still be used is is is, is entrusted to me. It's a very very different attitude. Yeah. Any more? Yes. Um, what about the role of, of intellectual property? Yeah. Right, so not not physical things. You're speaking on a halachic level, or you're speaking on in terms of also gifts, also making Kenyans, for example. So, so you've, got, you've got four recorders in front of you there. Yeah. Right? There's no reason why there couldn't just be one, and then one of them could share the shear with three of the, with three people or twenty five people, and no, and not one part of the original uh, item would be destroyed or touched at all. Safety. Again, so, so let me. I, I guess let me get a better handle on the question. In halacha, intellectual property is actually a really difficult issue because it doesn't really exist. Um, intellectual property, the way Western um, Western civilization looks at it today, doesn't exist. What does exist? There are two. There are two. What's used to protect someone from? I mean, basically, I mean, things would come to standstill if you couldn't protect intellectual rights. Want things that come to what? I'm sorry. Standstill. Stand yeah, I mean, if, if, nobody would want to. You know, if you could just sell the shirt. Would I come down here and uh, give sure If you could just, uh, no, I mean, the the, um, the the the. So there are two legal devices that it does fit into, and just to, for the information. One is, if a person's earning a living from something, you can't barge in and do something that would destroy it. Like if a person's fishing for something, you can't dam up the river further up, things like that. So if a person makes his living from singing um, by, by pirating it, you've, you've destroyed his source of livelihood, and that's a very strong halacha. It, it's very, very strong, and it's been enforced. So that's one area. And there's a second area, more of an ad hoc type of thing, which was used for many generations. What used to happen was, in the old days, meaning two, 300 years ago, printing books was extremely expensive. And you could bankrupt yourself or become wealthy by printing yourself. If somebody printed up a shas, nobody printed a shas. They used to print each volume separately. It, it, was like, it, it was like investing your whole fortune into it. It was a major, major investment. Now, if a guy came along and he made this medjushraba, and they invested, they brought people to check the, 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 the spellings and people to check the different commentaries. The layout, I don't know if you know what a layout used to be like. Today on a computer, you sit and fiddle with it, and you give it instructions. In the old days, you laid it out by hand, and if it didn't fit, you started all over again. It, it was an incredibly difficult task. There was, there was a real sense that if somebody could just rip it off, they would, nobody would want to do it. But why would I go through the effort and create this when somebody would just come and copy it for nothing, and, and, uh, and my money would go down? So nobody would print a shas. So the rabbis would give many haskamas, many approbations at the beginning of a book. If you'd read it, the older ones, it says, so-and-so has done a wonderful job producing this work. We, as the best in this, in this area, this, in this town, um, do not allow anyone to print the same work um, for 10 years or until his printing is sold out. That's, a, that's quite a common... Um, so it was protected either by imposing a protection on it or by by using the other but it doesn't it doesn't ownership in the sense that we have it the the, the, the halacha doesn't recognize ownership on intangible objects it, it is it's a fascinating it's one of those areas where halacha and western legal thinking differ interesting yeah there, there are many other Instagram but, but but this is one of them yes okay yeah. But does does Eugene feel, like Eugene? Do you feel like your recording? I hate to pick bug you out here. I'm sorry. Is more yours because it's on your recorder than if you got the recording? I, I doubt it. Huh? But but if he. That's always just an emotional question. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 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 it's it's not. It, I mean, it, things like that are not. 
You know, it's one of the... It, it's interesting. Recordings are a blessing because we can keep material and review it. People listen a lot less when things are recorded than when they, are, when they aren't. I mean, you know, I remember when recording in any form started. Um, when tape recorders, there's big... I, I brought back to a big tape recorder to record of Nachum and Rebchaim. I brought it in through... Mechas through the, the tax, I have to pay tax, and there was this huge machine, and uh, <laughs> the, and big reels, and they and they that was that was the beginning in Israel when they started recording. Uh, sure, there was no. Okay, yes. Here's a, uh, one question. Um, when when we always discuss Matan Torah and how Hashem, you know, told Moshe to go up to Har Sinai and then he was there for forty days, how come the emphasis is always on? That Hashem taught him, not the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu actually learned learned it all. Bec- the understanding is the first bit of knowledge always has to come from the outside. In other words, it's it's God. We say das. You gave us understanding. Even the axioms that we have in our brain, they have to, somebody had to put them in first. You know, no computer starts without least hardware, you know, there's got to be something inside. The Torah as an idea that it's right, the sense of it is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's giving. But we need to redo it, just like the Chazal that a Malach teaches you when you're in your mother's womb, and then then you forget it. What it means is, it's the idea's been implanted so that when you work at it, it sounds right. It, it has where to click into um, which is really, I mean, our, our basic axioms of things and, and basic sense of things had to come from someplace else. Um, and, and, and so that's a Kaddish Prochem planning in us, but then by working hard to learn something and to know it, we get that real sense of self in it. Okay. Bimatzliach, and we should be to have both sides of, of the learning. Okay.